This is the Noise Report. I am the music god, CJ Plain. This is episode, uh, this is going to be episode number three, because uh, we recorded what was supposed to be episode number one last night, uh, but it ended up being two and a half hours, so it ended up being two episodes instead of one. <laughs> so, uh, episode number three, um, we're going to kind of switch gears away from the music a little bit. I told you we're going to cover a lot of ground in this one, and uh, with this one, um, I'm going to cover a lot of ground. <laughs> um, over here on Facebook Messenger with me, you can't see her, but you will hear her. Um, she is an author of uh, what I could find was 13 books. Is that correct? 17. 17. Okay. 17 Plus books. Plus, there's simple anthologies. Yeah. Um, uh, she, she's an author. She's a radio host. Uh, she's a radio station owner. Uh, she's a photographer. Um, so many things that I could sit here all night, essentially, and just list off all of the uh, cool and amazing adventures uh, she's got to have in her life. Um, she is Yvonne Mason, and uh, she's one of my bestest friends that I know online because uh, if I ever have a problem or I need good advice, uh, this is who I go to. Uh, <laughs> this is kind of my sounding board, so... Um, I'm absolutely honored to have you on here. How are you? Well, thank you. It's fun to be back together again. Yes. <laughs> uh, last time we were together, I was trying to help uh, Yvonne figure out how to use Sam, and um, she was ready to um, basically strangle a tiger, I think, at that point. So. <laughs> I still can't use Sam on Radio.com. So I use it for one station, then I went to Live 365, and Sam works fine. <laughs> I don't. And it's weird to me, because I have no issue with Sam. Like, all, pretty much everyone I know uses Sam. It's just, I, I guess everyone kind of has a kryptonite type of thing. Like, I have, I can use PaintShop Pro all day long. And all of my friends, oh, well, learn Photoshop, learn Photoshop. I've tried I to. I hate Photoshop. I've tried to learn Photoshop multiple times. I've watched hundreds of tutorials for Photoshop, and I still can't use Photoshop to save my life. Well, I got, I got ticked off at all the the photo editing programs, and I just use I use two or three for whatever I want to do. You know me; if I can't go over the mountain, I find a way through it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Generally with dynamites and dynamite and midgets, but um, <laughs> um I don't allow things to defeat me. Yeah. And this with most people is they, they get frustrated and, and allow things to defeat me. It's an inanimate object for crying out loud. Yeah, I I am guilty of that. I, I or can't. I am definitely guilty of that, so <laughs> I will be the first to admit that I try not to let stuff defeat me, but uh, being bipolar and what I deal with, and there are times that I, I do just kind of have to step back and say, you know what, uh, this isn't going to happen simply because my brain's not going to let it happen, so. <laughs> um, Find another way to get around it. I know, it's... Trust me, I wish it was that easy sometimes. I, uh, um, part, part, part of the issue I deal with is um, traumatic brain injuries. My frontal lobe is um, partially destroyed, um, so my impulse control is minimal to none. Um, so it isn't just a bipolar, it's the impulse of when I get too angry, then I start like wanting to break stuff or lash out and... Um, I've kind of hit a point that I try not to let it defeat me, but there are times where, you know, that kind of kicks in and I want to break stuff or just be verbally abusive or combative. And I, I, that's when, that's when you just say, well, bless your heart. Yeah. Like that's the time that I know <laughs> that I have to step back and say, okay, you know what? I, I got to just kind of let this one go. Cause otherwise it's going to lead to bad stuff. And, um, they're, they're learning experiences, you know. I mean, sometimes you, you learn what your limitations are and how to better yourself and, like you said, go around them. So, um. Well, see, the problem.
problem, Chris. I haven't yet learned my limitations. I'm almost seven years old. I have none. I'm ten feet tall and bulletproof. <laughs> um, so one of the things I want to talk about a little bit is a lot of your books are, are self-published. They all are. All of them. Okay. Um, give people, I guess... I don't know where it is. A little idea of what it takes to get into it. Um, where do they start, maybe? Um, what do they look for? Uh, maybe um, pitfalls to avoid, I guess, maybe? Well, the first thing, before you even sit down to write the first sentence, you got to make up your mind you're going to have a thick skin. Yeah. That's That's number one. Number two is you when all the world walks out and says, well, you can't write, which I've lived with that for years, you say, watch this. Right. You have to be willing to put yourself out there. And I, through this journey, I've had people say, I always wanted to write a book. I said, what stopped you? Uh, not enough time. No, that, that dog don't hunt. Yeah. Well, I don't know how to write. When you sit down, it's like taking a journey. One sentence at a time. Yep. You write, you rewrite, you rewrite, you rewrite, <laughs> and you just don't give up. Yeah. And then what you have to do is you have to be willing to put it out there. Because there is, it's like finding a mate. There's something for everybody. You just got to be willing to wait for it. Right. And you've got you've to surround yourself with people you trust. Do not go to the first, quote-unquote, independent publishing house you find because you will get ripped off. Right. You build a network of us authors that have already had that journey and already been ripped off. We will help you get the right place because if you don't do it the right way and you do get ripped off, then you'll want to quit and not do anything else and. Yeah. And then you've lost that dream. And you allowed somebody to steal your dream. Yeah. And, and that's, I think, one of the things I was kind of alluding to and getting to is I know in the past you've dealt with uh, people that uh, ran what were essentially scam publishing companies and and whatnot. And, and that happens not just in publishing, but in music and in movies. And, you know, there's always somebody who is going to try to get rich off of someone else's work. Um, exactly. and, and the thing is, I was brave enough to call them out. Right. No, I, I would expect nothing less from you. I, <laughs> um, I, I, I truthfully would expect you to show up on their doorstep with paperwork and, um, and legally, I she did. could do that because I didn't mention she is a licensed bounty hunter. So um, she is well within the rights of the law to show up on their doorstep with paperwork. <laughs> well, what I did is I destroyed them on the on the, on the internet. I literally yeah. destroyed their business. That's... They were not real happy with me. Yeah, well, I imagine. I mean, the uh, the liar and the thief always hates being exposed. So. <laughs> Yeah, the light uh, the light always comes out of the darkness. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the books you wrote is about your brother, and uh, it's such a powerful book, such a powerful story. It, uh, you know, for, for anyone who's ever dealt with a family who were handicapped in some capacity or were born with uh, disabilities of any kind, um you will want to read this book um, because it's truly a story of uh, it's truly a story of de defeating that disability and not letting it bring you down or stop you from uh, doing what you want to do. Um, That's very true. Yeah. Talk about, talk about the book and all that and like, tell them the name of the book and all that and the title of the book is Dreamcatcher. Failure was never an option. And what the audience needs to understand is my brother was born in 1952. At that moment in history, anyone with a challenge, disability, handicap, or who was not classified as normal 
was totally ignored, put away, and not talked about. Right. My mother was a pioneer in acceptance. If it had not been for her faith in God, which translated to me, Stanley would have never survived, Stanley being my brother. He got encephalitis when he was nine months old, which is an inflammation of the brain. It was caused from the flu. And the part of his brain that handles coordination and speech was left damaged. He also was club-footed on both feet. And he went into a coma after having seizures from the high fever caused by the flu. The doctors told my mother that if he survived, and this was a very early learning lesson in, I don't believe in scientists nor doctors. They told my mother that he would never amount to anything. It'd be a vegetable. So their solution was just throw him away in one of the asylums and forget about him and replace him like a puppy and have several more. My mother said, "Um, I think not. So when he came up out of the coma, he was very alert. Somebody forgot to tell Stanley that he wasn't supposed to do that. <laughs> right. Didn't get the memo. Stubbornness <laughs> runs in the family. Right. So <laughs> I was 13 months older than him. And because my mother had to deal with a nonverbal child who was trying to to learn how to live in a verbal world. She finally got in contact with this very wise woman who was a child psychologist way before her time and told my mother that because he could not communicate with words because he had not yet learned how to speak, the brain was still retraining itself. And there was something else mother made up her mind is the brain is a muscle. Right. Muscle, when a muscle is damaged, the first thing you do is therapy. You retrain that muscle. So if you can retrain your arm to move or your leg to move, you can retrain your brain. So she worked with him and retrained his brain. He learned to walk with two five-pound plaster casts on his legs. And because he was nonverbal, and he was frustrated because he was nonverbal. He wanted to talk. He wanted to communicate. He would he would throw fits, not because he was a bad kid, but he was angry at himself because he could not speak and let right. his needs once fires be known. Well, this woman told my mother that he had a cog- he had an abstract language. Our animals can't speak to us, but we understand them. So she said, "What you do in order to retrain the brain." that this behavior is not acceptable and to find another way to communicate. When he does that, just put him in a closet for a few seconds. That gives him time to calm down and gives you time to calm down. And she says, it's not, ladies and gentlemen, it was not abuse. Trust me. It was not abuse. It was the only way that she could communicate with him. Once he became he became a pioneer in the Fulton County school system in 1957. This was a child that was never supposed to walk, talk, go to the bathroom by himself, feed himself, uh, learn to ride a bicycle, any of the things that we take for granted. He started school in 1957 as a pioneer in the Fulton County school system. He graduated from high school in 1972. He'd been working since he was seven years old. He and my younger brother had a paper route. They threw papers and collected the money. This is on the 50s and 60s. He learned to ride a bicycle before I did. <laughs> nice. Yes. One time, a new kid, and you talk about embracing the challenge, a new kid, a new family moved in the neighborhood. And this kid called my brother retarded. Now, we'd all grown up with all the other kids in the neighborhood, but he called my brother retarded. So Stanley goes into the house, and he asks my mother what retarded means. And mother said, well, Stanley, you know how sometimes you get a real bad sore on your arm, and then it scabs over and leaves a scar? And he said, yes. She said, well, that's what happened. You got a sore on your brain, and it left a scar. He looked at her. Now, this kid was... Eight, nine, ten years old. 
he looked at her and he says, oh, I'm just slow. He proceeds to take himself back outside and give this young kid a lesson on retardation. <laughs> so he taught us more than we could ever teach him. My parents had a condo, has have had a condo in Norman Beach, and every year he'd catch the Greyhound bus in Atlanta and ride down to the condo, get off in Daytona, catch a taxi over to Ormond, stay a week at the beach, go to Disney World, wherever he wanted to go, come back, get take a taxi back to Daytona, get on a bus and go back to Atlanta. In later years, he flew out of International, Atlanta International Airport to Daytona, then took a taxi to Ormond. He worked all of his life. He started out as a janitor and doing janitorial work and different jobs, and he got tired of it. And so there was a job that was offered at Publix, and he said he didn't want to be a janitor anymore. And my mother asked him what he wanted to do. He says, I want to stock. Now, anybody that has ever worked in stock and inventory knows that's not a job for the faint-hearted. It's hard work. Yeah. It's detail-oriented work. And it can be aggravating work. He was their stock boy almost in, up until the time he retired. Oh. <clears throat> He's, he, he was fully vested in Publix. When he retired. Now, because he no longer goes out, he is losing the ability to have cognitive language. I can see him regressing. His body is wearing out faster than mine because he's got arthritis in, in every bone in his body. And all this is due from the brain damage, his body is aging faster than mine. Right. But when he would get excited about something and he was talking, he would talk so fast that rather than embarrass him, say, Stanley, would you just shut up? I can't understand you. It became a game with us. I'd say, sweetheart, I love you dearly. But understand, I don't speak this unknown tongue that, that you're speaking. So if you don't mind in English for me, I would appreciate it. Right. And so the last time he was down here, he was so excited about being down here, and, and he was just talking 90 miles an hour. After my sister died, he was talking 90 miles an hour. And he said, oh, wait, stop, Stanley. He said, wait just a minute, Ebon. He said, I'm talking too fast. Mm -hmm. I got to slow down. I said, just breathe, son, just breathe. Now, he lived with my mom. We lost my dad in 2015, six weeks after we lost my little granddaughter. And so he looked after my mom. And in 2018, August 18th, exactly three years and two days after my dad died, he found my mom in the floor dead. Mm. And he thought she was asleep. So he went downstairs where my nephew was sitting, and he sat for a few minutes, and he went back up there, and of course she hadn't gotten up out the floor, and he went back downstairs and told my nephew to go up and check on her. Of course she'd been, I don't know how long she'd laid there, but she was already in full rigor. But a more compassionate, kind man who taught us so very, very much simply because he was accepted and he never believed he couldn't so he did yeah the i was 15 in foster care um well actually we were, we were friends i was 17 um in foster care and i got put into a foster home it was the very last foster home i was in before i went into the army and um when I got put there, the, I think one of the things I love about you so much is you remind me so much of Mrs. Davis. When I, when I got put there, um, they told me going in, okay, the Davises are an elderly couple. Um, they have been foster parents for 55 years. 
and that blew my mind. Like I, 55 years, man, as foster parents is just crazy. And I got there and, and, and she was 74 years old at the time. Mr. Davis was 77. And to still be foster parents at 74 and 77 years old was, was crazy to me, you know, and they had all of these kids and all of these kids that they had, Michael and Marianne and Jeannie, they were all, Michael was autistic and Marianne had Down syndrome and Jeannie was blind and had physical disabilities. And they were taking care of these, you know, these, I mean, they were adults, truthfully, but mentally they were kids. And, right. um, you know, I was scared at first because I'd never, I guess, interacted with anyone like that. Um, and I didn't know what to expect. And Marianne was, man, she was the, the sweetest, kindest person you ever met, man. She, she loved music. And she had a record collection. And she loved nothing more than to sit with me and talk about her records, her vinyl records. You know, Anne Murray and John Schneider and, and Red Soulvine. And she had all these old country LPs. And, you know, I was blown away because here's this person who has Down syndrome who is disabled, whatever, but she knew as much about the music as I did, you know, and Michael was autistic. Um, he was a good, good guy, you know, and he loved to play basketball. So I'd play basketball with him. And, um, I was a very successful soccer player in high school um, to the point I was offered a soccer scholarship. So Miss Davis comes in one day and she says, hey, she says, Michael's Special Olympic team lost their coach. They need a soccer coach. Would you be interested in being a coach for Special Olympics? And I was like, uh, no, I, I don't know the first thing about teaching soccer let alone to a group of people that are developmentally and she's like well she's like tell you what she's like just go down there and watch and give it a chance and i went down there that saturday fully expecting to walk away and say i don't want nothing to do with this um but what i found was 12 of the most eager energetic people that I'd ever met in my life. Every one of them gave me a hug. Every one of them, I, I'd never felt such kindness in my life. They didn't know how to hate. They didn't know how to be unkind. It wasn't in their nature. And I just said, you know what? The worst thing that could happen is I fail miserably and we lose, you know? <laughs> and, and, I told her that I said, the worst thing that can happen is we fail and lose. And Michael come around the corner. This is a kid who had barely spoken to me before now. And he could speak, but he didn't speak that much. Right. And he says to me, he puts his hand on my shoulder and he said, Chris, he said, don't think like that. He's like, people tell us we fail every day but we succeed just by waking up. And he was right. And I, I just, I cried because I'd never, I'd never been impacted like that by somebody saying something. You know, and it really was probably the moment in my life, other than my children being born, that taught me or, or you know, showed me that there is a different side to people that you don't see. And and remember this. There is a purpose for every human being. Yeah. yeah. And I, children and adults who are labeled. Right. It is to another person's detriment that they put that label on that person. Yeah. 
because they miss out on who that person really is and what they bring to the table. Yeah. When I wrote the book, Mother asked Stanley how he felt about it because my mother was a very private person. She didn't really want it out there because it was a lot of cathartic writings in that book. And he said, I'm glad because now people will know how I feel. Yeah. I... And see, I think people that are quote-unquote different are retarded or downs or autistic or whatever label they want to throw at them have no feelings. Yeah. They do. They have the same appointments, the same happiness, the same successes, the same trials, the same... As we all do. Yeah. The same insecurities, the same sometimes lack of self-confidence, the same, well, why don't they like me? They feel all of that. Yeah, I was. And we don't go ahead. I'm sorry. Type of um, what's the word? I'm and we don't offer them the same respect we expect out of each other. But then I'm not so sure we expect any respect out of each other anymore. Yeah, I like I said, I was blown away when I got put there. They had been like I said, they had been foster parents for 55 years. I was their 168th foster children foster child and they had adopted over 30 of the children you know not adopted them um and then above and beyond that i found out later and i didn't know this at the time of the foster children that they had over 130 of them had been you know either physically or developmentally disabled so they had spent their entire life taking care of these kids, taking care of people like your brother, you know, and I just thought, my, it's, you know, I mean, it, what a, what a testament and what a, you know, I mean, I just, an amazing person they were in, uh, um, first concert I ever got to go to. <laughs> I'd never gotten to go to a concert before that. And um, I'm very good friends with him now, Tim Bloodworth. Uh, he had a band at the time there called Romeo Ridge. And this is a small little country town in the thumb of Michigan. And Romeo Ridge were so good. They got into the True Value Country Showdown. And they won and they won and they won and they won. And they kept on going and going and going. To the point where they ended up being one of the ten final bands in the country. And they were on CBS. And I just, I told everybody, Romeo Ridge is going to win. Romeo Ridge is going to win. They were so good. Uh, they were the Kentucky Headhunters before the Headhunters existed. Right. And um, when they were on TV, this contest, it was judged by Tammy Wynette, Randy Travis, uh, the president of CBS Records, and one other person. And... um you know, it started with 10, then it was 7, then it was 5, then it was the final 3. And and the final 3 part, they have this ballad ca- called My Heart's on the Table. And that was the final song. And the second they started playing it, I was like, oh, they won. That's it. It's over. And um, Mr. Davis, he's sitting there with me watching it. And he's, you know, he's never seen him before or heard him before. And he's just nodding his head and he's hard of hearing i think he probably had his hearing aid down but um when randy travis come on stage and announced them as the winner you know recording contract new pickup truck fifty thousand dollars man i went through the roof i was jumping around and he was jumping around with me and he was so excited and um about two weeks later he come home is for my 18th birthday and uh, it was right before I was going to leave for the Army for basic training. He said, well, he said, before you go, he said, I have one final present for you. He said, don't make any plans for Thursday. I was like, okay. Why? And he's like, well, I got a surprise for you. I said, okay. And uh, Mrs. Davis said, it's really cool. She's like, just, she's like, indulge him a little bit. I was like, it's fine. So we get in the car and um, he has this old... Oldsmobile Citation, you know, it's one of them old boxy cars, and 
we get in there and he starts driving and we drive and drive and drive and i was like where are we going like we're driven forever and we end up at the flit ima arena and i was like oh you're taking me to a hockey game he said no it's a concert he pulls the tickets out it's randy travis with tammy wynette opening with special opening act romeo ridge wow and I cried and cried. This man's 77 years old. <laughs> you know, knew that I was walking into a bear trap in three days. And just went out of his way to get these tickets and drive an hour and a half away to take me to this concert. And it was really one of the greatest moments of my life. You know, it was just one of them things where, you know, a man who... He had no no more connection to me than, hey, I was a kid sleeping in a bed in his house, you know. Um, I hadn't even been there that long. I mean, I'd only been there maybe three weeks, you know. But he was a kind man. Oh, he more than you ever could imagine. Like, he just, the kindest couple. And I just, you know, I... I've told people I, I didn't deserve them as foster parents at the end because I had done so much bad stuff up to that point out of rebellion and out of anger and out of just feeling abandoned by my dad and, and everyone. And I had had foster parents who literally I was a paycheck to them and I knew it. You know, as long as the money come in, I was there. If not, next. You were up. Um, next. And they were never about the money. I think if she could have gave the money back, she probably would have. You know? <laughs> I mean, um, you know, and uh, this woman but would. The moral, the moral of that story, Chris, is that when you needed kindness yeah. in your life, as you were going into the service. Yeah. And I think that kindness might on some level readjusted your thinking without you even knowing it. Yeah, I mean, I know... <laughs> I'll tell you a funny story. Her granddaughter, one of, one of the guys that she had adopted, Kenny, um, he was a Jehovah's Witness. And I used to go around and around with Kenny at dinner about religion. Um, more playful than anything, but uh, Kenny was one of them very, very serious Jehovah's Witnesses. He had a daughter named Kayla, and I was in love with Kayla. And, of course, Kayla wasn't allowed to date or have a boyfriend or any of that, but it was kind of this unspoken thing that, look, I was Kayla's boyfriend and Kayla was my girlfriend. You didn't say it in front of Kenny because it would have... Um, Anyways, when I went, when I left for basic training, about a week into basic training, when we got downrange and got put with our, our ranger buddies, when John come in the room, I just stopped dead in my tracks. And I was like, and he's like, what? I was like, dude, I was like, don't take this the wrong way. I was like, but you literally are like the male twin of my girlfriend. And he's like, no, I'm not. And I was like, dude, in the face, he looked like Kayla's identical twin. He was from Texas and no wow. blood relation, nothing. And um, to prove a point, I wrote a letter to Mrs. Davis and said, hey, can you send me a picture of Kayla? So she sent me a picture and I showed John and John laughed about it. Well, I put it up in my locker, not even thinking about it. About fourth week of basic training, we had an inspection. We were standing by the locker. And the lieutenant comes in, and he walks by, and he stops, and he looks in my locker, and he looks at the pictures, and he goes to walk away, and he stops, and he spins back around. He walks over, and he looks at the picture, and he looks at me, and he said, Private plane! I said, Yes, sir. Why do you have a picture of your ranger buddy wearing a dress? <laughs> and I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> I was like, uh, sir, that's not my ranger buddy. 
he looks at John and he looks at the picture and he looks at John and he looks at the picture and he's like, pictures don't lie, son. That looks like your ranger, buddy. I was like, that's my girlfriend in Michigan. He's like, well, you can say she's from wherever you want to say she's from, but that looks like him. And, uh, man, I caught hell from Lieutenant Houston the rest of basic training over that. Like, every time he seen me, he would tease me about that. And it was all in good fun and good nature. Um, but it was just one of them coincidences. And it was funny. It, it, it was funny. Like, if I was a drill sergeant or a lieutenant, I would have done the same thing. I mean, you know, it's like of all the people in all of the world that I could get paired up with, I got paired up with a guy who literally looked like the male version of my girlfriend. And it was so funny. And, and she thought it was funny, too. And she thought it was just hilarious when I showed her a picture of John. You know, and she's like, well, you sure they're not related? You know, Kenny's adopted. And I was like, I don't know. Maybe they are. I don't know. But. I was like, I know he's been in Texas his whole life, and Kenny's been in Michigan his whole life, so I don't know. Somewhere but. down the line. Maybe. <laughs> I was just, like I said, um, I told Kayla, I said, you know, they say there's one person in the world who who looks like yeah, I, I went to basic training with yours. So. <laughs> we all have a doppelganger. Right? Uh, doppelganger. Um One of the things I, want, I wanted to talk about, and the reason I asked before, um, friends dealing um, to my friends Phyllis and, and Andy and um, them that recently lost their brother Tommy to COVID, um, dealing with the grief. And, um, you know, it was put to me, uh, how do you deal with, how do you deal with grief? And... I know with the loss of your amazing husband and the loss of your granddaughter, um, the loss of your mother and your father, um, you, my sister. Yeah, you've you've dealt with more grief than any human should ever have to. <laughs> so, um, not not to laugh or or make it seem like it's yeah. not a serious. I because grief is, is the way my father explained it to me is grief is part of the circle of life if you don't have death you can't have life if you don't have life you can't have death as the bible tells us it is appointed unto man once to die we are all going to it's not a matter of if we all have an expiration date and the way that I deal with it, because I've been dealing with death since I was a little girl. I've been losing people I love since I was a little bitty girl. I have to think of it in that way, that we all have an expiration date. None of us get out of here alive. <laughs> yeah. Even if God comes back and we're alive, we're not going to be alive when we, when he comes back. It's just not going to happen. Right. And. While there is loss and while there is pain and, and while there is a void, you cannot focus on what you've lost. Because when you focus on what you're lost and you get bitter, you get angry, you get filled with hate, you burn up all of this energy in a negative way. And negative energy creates negative energy and attracts negative energy. What one has to do, there is a process of grief. And it has no timeline. But what one has to understand is there is different stages. There is shock. There is denial. That is also a river in Egypt. There is <laughs> anger. There is anger. There is acceptance. And you go through all these stages and you don't no one goes through the same stage at the same time. There's no order. But what one must understand is that in order to keep a healthy attitude, one must focus on the relationship that one had and the memories that one built while that person was alive. Because grief will eat you alive. 
And I refuse to allow an inanimate object to eat me alive. Yeah, I... And on top of that, Jack would kiss, kick my butt. <laughs> yeah. Because when you look around, and we look around at nature, and we look around at life, before anything new can be born or grow, it has to die. For instance... In order for a tree, let's take an oak tree. In order for an oak tree to make another oak tree, a seed has to be planted and that seed literally dies so that a new sprout can come out. <clears throat> and Jack always said that in order for another child to be born, that we had to die. And I agree with that. While I miss my husband, and you know how much I adored and loved my husband, and how much he loved me, because he he got me. He was the only one that did. He understood me, and he, he supported my eccentric ways. <laughs> we both understood we have an expiration date. Yeah. And to me, grief is a process. I have good days. I have not-so-good days. But I do not allow those not-so-good days to rule me. It does not define who I am. Being with my husband for those 13 years was defining moments in my life. Not being without him are defining moments in my life, but they don't define who I am. And after the life that I've led and the things that I've done and things that have happened to me, those 13 years that I had with them were like the cherry on top of the wedding cake. The things that my parents taught me, the, the kindness, the stubbornness of my mom, the resilience of my mom not to give in to the naysayers who said get rid of him and get a new puppy. The ability to have five children and one of them being challenged in what she lived through and how she not only endured it, but she survived it. Watching my father work 18 and 19, 20 hours a day to take care of this ever-growing family and understanding the greatest gift that he gave us was that he loved our mother. Having my little granddaughter for 13 years and her attitude, even though she was asthmatic and had all these health issues, she was kind. She was loving. She 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 lived every day like it was her last. A week right. before she died, asked Ryan about heaven. I think she knew she was dying. Losing my sister to, to cancer, who is as stubborn as I am and, and refused to go quietly in that good night, those lessons stay with me. That's what I think about. That's what I focus on. I don't focus on, well, I don't have them anymore, so I might as well give up and die. Oh, no, they would all be highly pissed at me. <laughs> right. Not happening, Captain. <laughs> so the old adage is to better, it's better to have loved and lost and never have loved at all is very true. People that are grieving should always focus on, I had this <clears throat> much time. I could have had zero. Right. For sure. And that's how I deal with it. That's how, that is my prescription for dealing with grief. I cry. It's okay to cry. It's okay to laugh. It's okay to enjoy having a good time. It's okay to be sorrowful. It's even okay to be pissed off at God because God understands better than any of us what it is to lose a child. He gave his child to die for us. And he could have taken him off that cross any day, any time, which is, was the worst death anybody could endure. But he didn't. So when we have a loss and we, we hurt, understand God knows it. Yeah. God so, understands. That's, um, yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> the kind Sorry, of that, that's <laughs> how I deal with it. That's a, a great answer. I, it truly is. I, uh, um, so we've we've covered a lot. Um, uh, 
before I get into these, um, tell everyone where they find you. Where do they find your books? Where do they find um, all the great information about you, your your radio stations that you run? Um, you know, give kind of a, a little rundown on what those are, um, all of that. They find my books under Yvonne Mason. They're on Amazon and everywhere else. They can find all the old archived off the chain shows on Blog Talk Radio, and that was it was called Off the Chain. They are still out there. I also have a YouTube channel under Yvonne Mason. You can find a bunch of stuff there. The two new radio stations are Christian-based radio stations. One is on Life 365. It's called The Great Commission. And it does have an app. You can download the app for Life 365 on Apple or Google, and then you go in and pull up the Great Commission and download that to your phone. The other one is Radio.co, and it is Feed My Sheep. It is live stream only. Still deciding if I want to app for that one or not, because I'm not real happy with those people, because you can't find... I, when I try to pull up Feed My Sheep on Radio.co, I can't get it up, so I'm... Yeah those people except that we have listeners all over the world off of that radio station and that's because you know my marketing skills if people want to find me on facebook they can find me under yvonne soul author yvonne mason yvonne mason soul uh, art and photography by yvonne soul off the chain feed my sheep there's just a few of them They can find the um, web page for the two radio stations under, I think it's Feed My Sheep. If they just pull up Feed My Sheep, they'll find all that. Awesome. And all the all the links to the live streaming is on there, as well as the ministers that, that did the lessons and all kinds of good stuff. Awesome. So we've covered a lot of information about her books, her brother... Um, all of this stuff. So we're going to end on a fun note. I have five little cards here. Uh, they're okay. no, um, <laughs> I went through a lot of work the last three days of hand printing these cards instead of them being in a, um, PDF format where they were hard to get at. Um, I now have a whole bunch of little cards. These are the Music God's Random Questions of Stupidity. Um, oh, my favorite subject. <laughs> so I have five questions that I have randomly chosen by pretty much just taking the deck and uh, kind of shuffling them and uh, doing, because they're, they're kind of like playing cards. Um, and I think these are five questions that are very, very good for you. So we'll go through them real, very quickly and... Um, what do you keep on your desk or in your workspace area that boosts your mood? That would be the brat dog, my little Frenchie. He's, he sleeps behind me. <laughs> in my he makes me laugh. <laughs> um, what famous person's personal diary would you love to read? Edgar Allan Poe's. Yeah, I was, that would be one of my top choices. Uh, I, I'd say Mark Twain, I think, would be the top of mine, but Edgar Allan Poe would be up there as well. Um, Ambrose Bierce is another one. I, I well, Poe's, Poe's House of Usher was the first horror movie I ever saw in 1967 at These Point Theater starring Vincent Price. Nice. Um, what is the most important thing your fans can do to support you? That's an interesting question. Buy my books for one thing. Right. Uh, the legal copy. Like <laughs> the, not, not the free pirated stuff that's out there. Yeah. You, you can't keep up with those pirates fast I know. enough. I know. They're horrible. <laughs> they will get theirs. Friend me on Facebook, like my pages, listen to the radio stations. In fact, May the 4th on Feed My Sheep Blog Talk Radio, 
at 1.30, we're going to have a minister do a live show with me. We will also be doing a live feed on Facebook. Awesome. I have to write that down on the calendar. Um, I don't know how that one got in there. <laughs> um, if you could learn any language fluently by simply snapping your fingers, fingers which one fingers. would you choose? I would like to relearn French. I took French for three years, and I love it. And because every language is, is uh, and I would also like to learn Latin, because every known language came from Latin. Yeah. I, uh, I, I would love, there's two languages I think I'd really, really love to learn. Uh, one, I'd love to learn Portuguese. Um, I'm probably the only person on earth that could spend a year in a country that speaks Portuguese and not learn a word of Portuguese. <laughs> um, You're so beautiful. Huh? I, I know. You're so I, <laughs> I, I, I spent an entire year in Brazil and walked away not knowing a word of you Portuguese. You didn't at all? I, I was studying with the Gracie clan, studying jiu-jitsu. So we spoke English and... You know, when you're with the Gracies, um, you're under protection all the time, essentially, because uh, if you go out and about unprotected in Brazil, they'll kidnap you. Um, so we did. You know I didn't. That, you know, jujitsu is my uh, martial arts of choice, right? Oh, I didn't know that. I know. I know Brazilian jujitsu. I can take down a 250 pound man. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't doubt that. I I, I spent a year. In, in Rio, studying with uh, Henzo and Hoist Gracie and, and Carlson. Um, so, um, yeah, you know, you, you, we couldn't just go out and wander about at the markets or whatever because we were targets. Um, yep. So 90% of our time was spent in the Gracie compound pretty much <laughs> under guard. <laughs> so we only talked to each other and we all spoke English. So no, I, I truthfully walked away knowing I know a couple words that have to do with jujitsu itself, but uh -huh. the, the actual language, um, oddly enough, I can see Portuguese and be like, Oh, that's Portuguese. But I have no idea what is that? <laughs> like, I know what it looks like, but I don't know what it says. So, um, the other one I would love to learn Tagalog. Um, Tagalog, I, 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 I love the Philippines. The Philippines are my favorite place on earth, and um, I've said, and I mean, uh, eventually, uh, I will get on a plane to the Philippines one day, and I'll just disappear into the Philippines. Um, I, I, I love the Philippines. I've been there so many times. And I, I do know limited words in Tagalog, but uh, Tagalog is a is a crazy language because there's about seventy different dialects of it. So sounds like the South. Sounds like what? Sounds like the South. We have we all speak English, but you've got you've got the Western dialect. You've got the the. South Georgia dialect, you got the East Georgia dialect, yeah. you got the Middle Georgia dialect, then you got the Northeastern dialect and the Northwestern dialect. Yeah. We have English, but it's a different dialect. Yeah, for sure. I, um, if you ever, if you ever get a, I'll, I'll say this to anybody, if you, if there truly was any place on earth that could be considered the modern day version of the Garden of Eden, it would be in the Philippines. The Philippines wow. are the most beautiful place on earth. Um, it, it makes Hawaii look like a ghetto. I mean, it just the the there's there's parts of the Philippines obviously that are ugly or, or you know big city and it's got all of the things of the big city. Uh, but when you get out of Manila or out of Cebu City around Davao and 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 stuff like that. Um, it's so gorgeous that you, your brain can't even fathom, like how much beauty is there. Um, it's crazy. So um, that is 
that that is my final stages of life i i will be spending it in the philippines <laughs> um final question <laughs> you'll probably hate this one your least favorite personality trait about yourself hmm <laughs> i don't have any <laughs> i knew that was coming I know my flaws. I embrace them. <laughs> I hate it overbearing and domineering, and those are just my good points. <laughs> that is exactly why I said you're going to hate this question, because I just knew. I, I knew the answer before I even asked it. It was like, it was like um, bad personality traits? Well, I don't have any. Um, <laughs> Took me a long time to get there, but I don't have any bad personality. <laughs> now, I might beg to differ but that's on them not me <laughs> that's, that's that's what i tell the wife all the time jokingly she's like you're so horrible and i was like hey you know how it goes when i'm good i'm good but when i'm bad i'm even better <laughs> people that know me know two things about me one if i'm bored and i get bored easily there's trouble <laughs> b if you leave me unsupervised there's trouble. <laughs> See, I don't ask permission and I never ask forgiveness. <laughs> oh. It works well for Yeah. So, if you guys ever wonder why I love this woman so much, um, this was proof why I just, I, I never come away from a conversation with her without wisdom and laughter and um my heart can be in the darkest craziest place and talking to her puts me in this kind of mood i come away happy and um there truly are very 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 few people in the world who have that place with me so um this is yvonne mason Find her books. Uh, she has been on uh, IDTV. Uh, she does true crime as well. We didn't get into that, but um, if you like true crime, she got you covered. Uh, you like short stories and horror anthologies, she got you covered. Uh, you like uh, this or that. Thriller. Thrillers, she got you covered. Um, you know, that should really kind of be the handle of her whole writing career is got you covered. Uh, <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, I get bored. Yeah. Um, find her social media in all of the great places. Tell her you heard her here. Um, tell her, tell her the butt face sent you. Uh, <laughs> uh, in all, in all fun. Um, Yvonne, thank you for for doing this and taking the time and. Um, oh, you're quite. Anytime all you have to do is say, uh, "I need you," and I'll say, "Okay, I'm there." Like Even I said, I I, uh, I wanted you to be one of the first people because uh, truly you were, you know, along with Odd, you were one of the early people to embrace me and, and tell me I could do this and that I wasn't just some idiot rambling away that nobody was listening to. I lied. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody does when it comes to that. But look, we got you. <laughs> um, but... No, you are, you are an amazing human being, Chris, and, and never, ever, ever allow anybody to tell you differently. No, because I... people do that. This is something else I found out in, in my travels. When people try to tear another human being down for the skills and, and talents that that other person has, it's because it's on them. It's their lack of self-confidence. It's their low self-esteem. It's their inability to get out of their own way. And so they want to drag somebody else down with them, and I just don't let that happen. Exactly. Um, so you're listening to the Noise Report. I'm the Music God. Uh, I'm going to shut up, and we'll be back soon uh, with another episode of the Noise Report uh, with lots of other amazing guests.